shadows on the highway, blood stains on my hands. Trouble seems to find me, no matter where I am. Another one down in the city, and now for an eye, going down, you're coming with me. There ain't no place to hide. I'm a natural born killer. Have you begging for no more? I'm a natural born killer. I'll hunt you down. Yeah, when you're found, even now the score. You are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. I'm your host, Critch, and today is February 3rd, 2021. And, uh, man, there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. Uh, we've got uh, the uh, GameStop stuff going on in the stocks. <laughs> A bunch of Redditors uh, that got information by, hmm, nobody knows yet, um, have basically forced hedge funds into uh, being bailed out. In the end, it'll, they'll be bailed out by you and me. Um, what else have we got going on? We've got uh, Pennsylvania Secretary of State resigns after botching cost- constitutional amendment. And then we are going to go through... <clears throat> I finally found an amazing summary of uh, all the uh, COVID vaccine uh, injuries and deaths Um a guy by the name of Dr. Vernon, Vernon Coleman has been accumulating everything. Uh, it even has a map of the injuries all over the world. And uh, we also are going to focus on Ron DeSantos from Florida. Uh, he is speaking out and fighting back against big tech. So I wanted to start the show with uh, uh, Zero Hedge, one of my favorite writers, Tyler Durden. And that was the uh, title that I had read to you earlier. Embattled Pennsylvania Secretary of State resigns after botching constitutional amendment. Uh, this was written on February 2nd, 2021. Uh, Pennsylvania Secretary of State Kathy Bokvar, who came under fire for extending deadlines for absentee voters provide, uh, to provide missing proof of identification, has, re- has resigned for failing to comply with an unrelated state el- election law. Bokvar botched a constitutional amendment which would have allowed sexual abuse victims more time to sue their alleged abusers. Pennsylvania law requires that the Secretary of State office must publicize proposed proposed amendments in two newspapers in each of the state's 67 counties ahead of the election and between two separate votes, which her office failed to do. Her last day will be February 5th. Because of the error, the process to amend the Constitution must now start from the beginning, unless the General Assembly pursues this initiative through the bill process, says Governor Tom Wolf in a statement. <clears throat> Wolf also noted that the change at the Department of State has nothing to do with the administration of the 2020 election, which was fair and accurate, adding the delay caused by this human error will be heartbreaking for thousands of survivors of childhood sexual assault. Advocates and legislators 
and I join the Department of State in apologizing to you. I share your anger and frustration that this happened, and I stand with you in your fight for justice. Uh, no, you don't, Tom Wolf. Uh, so anyway, the reason I'm I'm going through this with you is you will remember that uh, Miss Bokvar was the one that uh, allowed. Uh, she went right around the Constitution and allowed uh, mail-in ballots to be uh, uh, accepted. I believe it was three days. Yeah, it's in here. It's it's three days after the November third election, and now they're kind of skirting this. It just seems like a really odd resignation at the timing. You know, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from the uh, uh, the sexual abuse victims, but it's that kind of stuff happens all the time. Uh, politicians are in, the most incompetent people in the entire world. So the fact that she herself is stepping down for this is is kind of funny. Like she could have easily blamed this on an aide or someone in her staff. The fact that she's stepping down is just odd. Anyway, well, let's carry on with this. Bachfar made headlines in November after she usurped the power of the state legislature and unilaterally sought to accept mail-in ballots three days after the November 3rd election, while also extending the deadline for absentee voters to cure their ballots by providing missing proof of identification. Both the state and the U.S. Supreme Court sided with Bachfar with the uh, latter after Chief Justice Chief Justice John Roberts joined with the liberal member of the court to block the GOP's challenge. GOP Senator Josh Howley objected to the certification of Pennsylvania's electoral results for Joe Biden following a riot the US uh, following a riot at the US Capitol by protesters who disrupted proceedings. Anyway, like I was saying, very very un very weird timing on that resignation. And uh, it just it just caught my eye, so I wanted to share it with you guys. It's not the most the biggest thing that's happening right now, as you guys know, um, but it was just worth noting. And I figured, well, heck, let's just note that in the pre-show because this girl, this Kathy Bachvar, is probably one of the truly most hated Democrats in the U.S. right now. Like she is probably not safe to be walking down the street by herself uh, because of what she did uh, in Pennsylvania. So. It's interesting, to say the very least. Okay, <clears throat> as I told you earlier, we got some pretty killer um, topics for this show. So let's just get this one rolling, and we'll be right back. Conspiracy is not theory, and political corruption finds the spotlight.
At CPR, we are committed to finding the real truth while upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom. With all thy sons, command. Okay, welcome back everybody and uh, like I was saying in the pre-show we are going to cover a fellow by the name of Dr. Vernon Coleman. Now he has been uh, dropping videos on uh, I believe it's Rumble um, but he has a summary of some of the deaths going on here um, due to the vax or the corona coronavirus vaccine and uh, they're all articles and of course they're all being you know, they're, they're basically saying they're not related. But I just want to read some of the titles off to you guys before we get into a clip from Vernon uh, that, you know, are going to interest you. Um, at least 22 residents dead in three weeks in Pemberley House. Basing Stoke Home Care. Uh, 22. Uh, X-ray technician dies two days after getting the second dose of the COVID vaccine. A 41-year-old Portuguese mother of two who worked in pediatrics died at hospital in Porto just two days after being vaccinated against COVID-19. Norway is investigating the deaths of two nursing home residents after who died after being vaccinated against COVID-19. Chinese health experts call to suspend the use of mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccines following the death deaths of 23 elderly people in Norway. In Florida, a doctor died after suffering a stroke after receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. A 32-year-old medical doctor suffered seizures and was paralyzed after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. 55 people have died in the U.S. after receiving the COVID-19 vaccines. A 46-year-old healthcare worker dies 24 hours after receiving the uh, COVID-19 vaccine, but government says the death is not related to the jab. German specialists are looking into the deaths of 10 people who died after being vaccinated against COVID-19. Norway warns frail patients over 80 of vaccine risks after death. Norway investigates 23 deaths in frail elderly patients after vaccination. Doctors in California call for urgent halt of Moderna vaccines after many fall sick. Two people in India die after receiving COVID jab. Coronavirus vaccine puts hold as volunteers suffer serious adverse reactions. Uh, thousands of COVID uh, vaccine injuries and 13 U.S. deaths reported. Uh, nursing home had zero COVID deaths, then it vaccinates. Okay, so like each one of these articles is is awesome. Anyway, uh, you can find all of this. I, what I'll do is I'll put the link up uh, on the uh, Telegram page. And you guys are welcome to come and read all of these. What we'll probably do is go through some of these on the show, um, obviously, because this, this almost all of these we haven't covered. So maybe the doctor, 
a couple of the doctors in the U.S. I'm pretty sure the 46-year-old healthcare worker we covered. Um, there's no mention here of the nurse. But anyway, uh, like I said, I'll put the link up on Telegram so you guys can uh, can check this stuff, stuff out for yourselves. And uh, like I said, we'll be covering a lot of these articles as we go because this is just one of the staples in the show right now. Uh, we're seriously speaking out against this vaccine and, and there is hideous amounts of evidence when you really start digging um, of the damage that this is doing. Anyway, I want you guys to listen to a clip from Dr. Vernon Coleman, and uh, I think you're going to appreciate why. Okay, this is a fairly long clip, but we're going to play it almost in its entirety. Um, at the end, he kind of gets pretty pretty flustered, so I think we'll probably do without that. But the rest of it is just solid gold. So let's listen to this, to this together, friends. David Lammy, MP, a British politician, now says that the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and it works. Here's the latest in a long and growing list of celebrities who are enthusiastically endorsing the vaccine. Though I rather fear they've probably spent as much time looking into the facts of the vaccine as I have spent learning about flower arranging. Just how Mr. Lammy claims to know that the vaccine is safe and works is beyond me. Let me tell you about Mr. David Lammy, MP. When he appeared on a television quiz show, he was asked to give the married name of scientists Mary and Pierre, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1903 for their work on radium. Lammy's reply was Antoinette. He got Marie Curie mixed up with Marie Antoinette. When he was asked for the name of the building used as a prison by Cardinal Richelieu, he named Versailles instead of the Bastille. Versailles, for heaven's sakes, this is a man who served as a government minister. He was asked who succeeded to the English throne after Henry VIII and offered Henry VII, which showed a singular lack of mathematical skills. And he once criticised the BBC for wondering whether the smoke from the Vatican would be black or white. He seemed to think there was an element of racism in this well-known way of announcing if a new pope had been elected. The thing about Lammy is that to me he doesn't seem aware of the extent of his ignorance. He knows that the Covid-19 vaccine is safe and works because he's read it on a beer mat. Or maybe he's been conducting secret private clinical trials in his purpose-built laboratory at the House of Commons. Maybe he's got a time machine which enables him to see into the future. No, I think he says the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and works because someone in the government says it's safe and it works. Lammy is supposed to be a member of Her Majesty's opposition. His job is to question the government and to protect his constituents. But he's rolled over and let Bill Gates, Prince Charles and Carl Schwab tickle his tummy. Incidentally, I'm well aware, by the way, that a decent part of the medical and scientific community doesn't believe that the stuff currently being promoted like a new brand of crisps isn't a vaccine at all. For the record, I agree with them. It's a form of gene therapy. I'd rather die than have that stuff in my body. But if I don't call it a vaccine, people who trust David Lammy, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the rest of the roll over, tickle my tummy and I'll say whatever you want me to say, celebrities won't know what I'm talking about. The fact is that even the 
World Health Organization only expects these vaccines to help reduce the extent of the symptoms. They're not promising that the vaccine will stop people getting COVID-19. And they're not expecting the vaccine to stop people spreading the infection if they do get it. If David Lammy and the Archbishop of Canterbury and all the rest had done a little research, they would know that. They would also know that the vaccine is experimental. The enthusiastic celebrities are promoting an experimental vaccine, or an experimental whatever it is. The United States National Library of Medicine published details of the vaccine program currently underway, and they say that the trial will last two years. Anyone having the vaccine is therefore taking part in an experiment. David Lammy and the Archbishop of Canterbury want your granny to take part in an experiment, and your granddad, and you too. The medicines agency in the UK knows it's an experiment. They advertise for special software so that they can keep track of the high number of adverse events they were expecting for two years. Of course, even after two years, we still don't, won't know what's going to happen to people who have the vaccine or what might happen to any children they might manage to have. It's all a mystery, though we do know that there are very real risks of changes to the immune system of those having the vaccine. But it's okay, David Lammy and the Archbishop of Canterbury say it's okay. They read it somewhere, or someone told them, or they saw a government advertisement. I bet you a pound to a peanut that they didn't actually look through the scores and scores of scientific papers before coming to that conclusion. I bet they didn't make up their own minds before telling millions of people to take the bloody vaccine. They just repeated the garbage they were told, and that's garbage in, garbage out. The fact is that no one, not even David Lammy, can possibly know if the vaccine is safe and effective because the trial's still underway. You can look at the paper yourself. It's in the United States National Library of Medicine. Look for clinicaltrials.gov, and you'll see on page 3 of 14 that the trial or study is expected to be completed on the 31st of January 2023. Can you understand that, David? It's an experiment. It's not over yet. No one knows what's going to happen in two years. But vaccine-loving Bill Gates, whose foundation is making a fortune, let us not forget, wants seven billion people to take part in the experiment. We do know, however, that thousands of people who've had the vaccine have died or been seriously injured by it. That's an undeniable fact. Elderly people in care homes are dying in huge numbers. We're told it's the infection. But it's not, of course. It's the damned vaccine they're being given. Now, let me tell you something else, and this should strike terror into every doctor, nurse or boy scout currently involved in giving or promoting these vaccines. The Nuremberg Code on Medical Experimentation, written in 1947, for reasons which I hope I don't have to explain, even to David Lammy, stated that explicit voluntary consent from patients is required for human experimentation. That means that patients must be told that they're taking part in a trial and they must be warned of all the possible adverse events. That's what informed consent means. How many doctors and nurses jabbing people with this stuff are telling patients that it's a trial? How many are giving people the information they need to make a valued judgment? I would guess somewhere close to none. And so legally, 
all those people giving vaccinations are war criminals. I'll repeat that. Legally, all those people giving vaccinations are war criminals. War criminals never think they're war criminals, of course. At the end of World War II, the Nazis mostly claimed that they were doing important work or just obeying orders, doing what they were told. None of that cuts the mustard, as they say. Just doing what you're told doesn't stop you being a war criminal. Let me be clear, everyone giving the COVID-19 vaccines without explaining that it's, a, that it's an experiment and without listing all the possible adverse events is a war criminal. That's not rhetoric, it's not opinion, it's fact. If you don't believe me, check it out for, yours, for yourself. War crimes, let me remind you, are still taken fairly seriously these days. A lot of doctors and nurses are going to find themselves in the dock and the people who endorse the work they were doing may well find themselves there too. What's the punishment, I wonder, for aiding and promoting the activities of a war criminal? Meanwhile, those who believe David Lammy, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the other celebrities who've said that the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective should know that the vaccine is turning out to be just as dangerous as I and other doctors warned it would be. It was obvious before Christmas that these vaccines would kill and injure millions, for the proof, watch my previous videos or read the transcripts on my website, vernoncolman.com. Governments and government agencies are, of course, saying that the people who are dying and suffering awful neurological problems just happen to die or fall ill. They're claiming that the vaccine isn't responsible. Ain't that odd? They claim that if you die within 28 days of a fake test for COVID-19, then you died of COVID-19. The bus had nothing to do with it. But they claim that if you die within 28 days of having a, a jab, then it's just a coincidence. What bastards these people are. They lie, lie and lie again. This is genocide. When's the war gonna, world going to wake up? In America, courts have confirmed that deaths that occur 30 or even 50 years after an injury can be a result of the injury. To give but one example, in 1982, James Brady was shot by a man called Hinckley who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Brady died in 2014 and his death was put down as a result of homicide or an event that happened in 1982. It isn't for government agencies to decide that deaths are coincidental. Coroners should be making the decision. There should be inquests on every patient who dies within 28 days or even longer of a vaccine. But there won't be. Meanwhile, we have a horrifying avalanche of evidence showing that these damned vaccines are killing and maiming people, all for a disease which has been proved to be no more dangerous than the annual flu. I have read many, many reports of the deaths caused by the vaccines. You can see details of the deaths on my website under the heading How Many Are the Vaccines Killing? The list also appears on Richie Allen's website. There's no doubt in my heart or in my mind this is global genocide. How much longer are people going to be silent? How many need to die? How many need to be crippled? When will people like David Lammy admit that they're wrong and stop promoting a deadly vaccine? The evidence is incredible. 
I've got some papers here. A man and woman in South Dakota die a day after getting COVID vaccines. 32 nursing home residents die after COVID vaccines. Um, Pemberley House care home deaths not related to a vaccine. Oh no, of course they weren't. John Hopkins scientist, a medical certainty. Pfizer vaccine caused death of Florida doctor. 181 dead in US during two week period from experimental COVID injections. Pfizer COVID vaccine shows alarming evidence of pathogenic priming in older adults. Do you know what pathogenic priming is, David Lammy? Do you know what it means? Do you know how evil it can be? Do you know how dangerous pathogenic priming? Do some bloody research. The World Health Organization says no guarantee COVID vaccines will prevent people being infected. California man dies several hours after vaccine. Coronavirus kills dozens at care homes. A letter of warning to the FDA, caution needed. Regulator report receives 81 reports. Nursing home whistleblower, seniors are dying like flies. Norway investigates 23 deaths. 33 elderly people dead after first dose. 55 Americans have died following mRNA in injection. Norway, more deaths. Chinese health experts call to suspend Pfizer vaccine. Four people died and 240 got COVID-19 in Israel after being injected. COVID-19 outbreak at nursing home infects 137 residents and kills 24. Seizures and paralysis due to encephalomyelitis. Two people in India die and so on and so on and so on. Portuguese health workers died, 10 dead. Morbidity and mortality weekly report, that thick. So you kind of get the point <clears throat> uh, why it was so relevant. He goes through the Nuremberg Code and uh, he touched on something that we haven't even really uh, came to the realization of that uh, if these doctors and nurses that are giving people the COVID-19 vaccine are not telling them that they're in a trial, that this is a, a test for a brand new mRNA vaccine, uh, they're very liable. Um, and just like uh, Dr. David or Dr. Vernon Coleman described, they are war criminals. And, you know, we that he brought up a top, um, you know, something that we've talked about when we were talking about, uh, you know, the police, um, spe specific police that are, were taking a lot of joy in uh, kicking down people's doors and, and dragging them out away from their families at Christmas. And, uh, you know, if we ever actually do get justice in this world, um, you know, certain things that we heard in the Nuremberg trials, like I was just following orders or, or I was just doing my job. Well, we learned that that doesn't hold up, especially in front of a military tribunal. So, and he also tells us that this experiment doesn't end till 2023. So right now is the experiment. People are lining up to be a part of an experiment with no long-term effect studies done on this vaccine. And you have people, I see people every day complaining that they can't get the vaccine yet. It just, it, it boggles my mind. You know, they obviously, these are the people that will never research the stuff like you and me. But I mean, the fact that we've, uh, we've got someone that's actually doing a summary of the deaths and side effects and everything that's, uh, <clears throat> you know, going on with this, uh, with this so-called vaccine, um, it, it's just, it, I've been looking for it for a long time. So I wanted to bring it to you guys. 
um, because the relevance uh, for us is is unbelievable on the stuff that we, uh, you know, we've been covering for quite a few of the shows now. So I just, I never even thought about that for one second that, uh, you know, that the doctors and nurses that are, that are actually administering this, uh, heavy air quotes vaccine, this, uh, this DNA experiment that we've got going on here are willing participants in, in a human trials of, of DNA altering, uh, air quotes vaccines. And it's, it's scary when you start thinking of the repercussions of this, you know what the long-term effects is what worries me. Like, okay, so you have, you have all the rest of the people that, um, you know, don't, don't have any side effects or anything right off the bat. But how do we know that this, you know, when you start altering genetics, how do we know that that's actually going to take, how do we know that these people aren't all going to develop, um, you know, fatal cancers and be dead within 10 years, if not before, or, or, or a, a numerous amounts of other things that can happen. Like we just don't know enough about this to be even considering it. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, you got people just lining up and complaining that they can't get their vaccine yet. You know, people that I consider to be, uh, extremely smart, uh, that I respect, uh, I've been blown away by that are, that are, you know, all for this. Meanwhile, you've got uh, HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, and ivermectin that have pretty much passed every single test, uh, and we know that uh, HCQ uh, cures it, and ivermectin prevents it. So we don't even need this damn vaccine. Not to sound like a broken record, I know I've said that lots on this show, but I mean, it's it's scary. And and the, what bothers me the most about it is it's going to affect all of us. You know, we all know people that are all all for this. And so we're all going to end up knowing people that probably are, are, you know, that pass or end up with damage from this vaccine because these, what we're reading off now, these are staggering numbers. And this, I think even Dr. Vernon Coleman only has a fraction of it. You know, the fact that they're just turning around, you know, they're giving it to the uh, people in long-term care facilities first. And they're just saying that they die of complications of COVID-19. They're, after they get the vaccine, they're not admitting that it's, you know, they get the vaccine and a lot of them are dead within 48 hours. They're not even admitting it. They're saying, oh yeah, no complications to, of, of COVID-19. So they're recording it all as COVID. We might never know the actual real truth because this is, this is global. This is a global crime. And I don't know how many, if, if we're ever going to actually know how many people that Pfizer BioNTech killed, but I, you know, <clears throat> You know, the, the prediction, you know, what I'm hearing now, it's, it's already in the thousands of people that have already passed because of this. So this, this is just effectively a genocide. So scary to say the least. And as you can tell, it's, it's, it's extremely relevant. Okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to bounce right out of that clip and we're going to change gears into, um, all the tech, basically all the big tech that's, uh, that we're all falling victim of now, which is, you know, uh, the censorship, everything, you know, uh, CPR, how, how we've been censored on most of the platforms, which at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you something. Cause I think, I think we got something remedied here. So anyway, but, um, Florida, um, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis has come forward in an amazing press conference, uh, uh and, uh, basically the Florida people 
and their and their government are fighting back against big tech. And so this is, you know, this is a, another fairly long clip, but the whole thing is relevant. Even the questions that uh, get asked at the end of this, uh, the way that uh, the way that he responds to these questions, I think you're going to love every second of it. I know I did. So anyway, let's just uh, get this cracking and we'll talk about it after. Floridians should have the privacy of their data and personal information protected. Their ability to access and participate in online platforms protected. And their ability to participate in elections free from interference from big tech protected. What began as a group of upstart technology companies from the West Coast has since transformed into an industry of monopoly communications platforms that monitor, influence, and control the flow of information in our country and among our citizens, and they do that to an extent hitherto unimaginable. At the turn of the 21st century, online technology represented tools to liberate Americans from reliance on distrusted legacy media outlets. As social media proliferated over the past decade, citizens could directly connect with large numbers of people and could cut out corporate media outlets entirely. Over the years, however, these platforms have changed from neutral platforms that provided Americans with the freedom to speak to enforcers of preferred narratives. Consequently, these platforms have played an increasingly decisive role in elections and have negatively impacted Americans who dissent from orthodoxies favored by the big tech cartel. And we have seen the power of their censorship over individuals and organizations, uh, including what I believe is clear viewpoint discrimination. And as these companies have grown and their influence expanded, big tech has come to look more like big brother with each passing day. But this is 2021, not, not 1984, and this is real life, not George Orwell's fiction. These companies exert monopoly power over a centrally important forum of public discourse and the access of information that Floridians rely on. It used to be that consumers were trusted to make their own decisions about what information to consume about which leaders to quote follow, about what news to watch. Now those decisions are increasingly made by nameless, faceless boards of censors. They even have a name euphemistically called content moderators. We're told that these are private companies and that those who disagree with their decisions to regulate content and even suppress content can simply choose other services. Well, when 2.8 million Americans chose to download the application Parler and share information with friends, family, and colleagues, what was the result of that? Canceled by Amazon, Google, and Apple. What about the 88 million Americans who chose to, quote, follow President Donald Trump? Sorry, content moderators on Twitter pulled the plug, as did a different set of, quote, moderators at Facebook. This is the case even though leaders like Ayatollah Khamenei have been permitted to use these platforms to do things like call for the destruction of Israel and the elimination of Jews. Core issue here is this, are consumers going to have the choice to consume the information they choose or are oligarchs in Silicon Valley going to make those choices for us? No group of people should exercise such power, especially not tech billionaires in Northern California. Now, if I had to choose, I'd rather be governed by the first 50 names in the Tallahassee phone book than the CEOs of big tech companies. If you don't like Parler, then don't read it. Let's not have those choices made for us. 
or before long we will have nothing more than someone else's choices imposed upon us by a bunch of monopolies whose core business is to sell advertising. These behaviors are concerning to me as I know they are concerning to many Floridians. It's high time that we step up to the plate to ensure the protection of the people and their rights. And I'm committed to addressing what may be one of the most pervasive threats to American self-government in the 21st century, because I believe in individual rights, privacy rights, and property rights, because I trust Floridians to choose which content to consume and which to ignore, and because I want to preserve Florida's rich, diverse public discourse and not allow corporate-owned, narrative-approved outlets to dominate our voices. Now, fortunately, I'm not alone in this fight, and I'm glad to work with the Speaker of the House and other legislative leaders as we take on these issues on behalf of the people of Florida. As we work together, we're united under core beliefs in the sacredness of one's voice, one's privacy, and the protection they deserve in our system of government. Privacy rights are really property rights, and just like big tech can't rummage through your dresser drawers, they also aren't entitled to track your every move. You know, someone once summed it up to me this way, when I invite you into my house and say, have a seat, I don't mean you can leave with my couch. Founding fathers were deliberate in the enshrinement of our rights in the Constitution to ensure that we, the people, were guaranteed protection against those wishing to violate our rights. Ironically, our early founders were most concerned with the tyranny of government in deciding these rights, but today, the big tech oligarchy has in many ways become a clearer and more present danger to the restriction of the right to free speech than the government itself. And certainly, if you go back and look at the monopolies at the turn of the 20th century, uh, these current big tech monopolies are exerting power far, far more per uh, pervasive than Standard Oil ever did. Now, these issues are so important because of big tech's pervasiveness and near limitless influence in our society. With billions of monthly users and the vastness of information exchange, not only do these companies control the flow of information, they are selling it as well. This is how the, you think the business works. They take consumer data sell it for advertising, specifically more than $200 billion worth of advertising in a given year. Um, and that's not really innovation, that's just a different form of Madison Avenue. Now, since its inception, big tech has experienced rapid and extraordinary growth. Its path to, ex its path to expansion bore a willingness to engage in a host of savvy practices to advance profit while compromising the protection of consumers. Not only do Floridians share with these platforms their lives, thoughts, hopes, and stories, but also some of their most intimate personal information. But what most folks don't realize is that all these companies are taking that information, regardless of its sensitivity, and selling it to whoever is willing to pay the highest price. They've even created complex markets and exchanges for the sale of Floridians' information, all the while claiming to never sell user information. Florida's not going to be tolerating that. Florida consumers deserve protection for their privacy. And with the help of our legislative partners, we're going to stand together in support of Floridians and put a stop to big tech's practice of preying on consumers. Your privacy is important. We also are going to address censorship and deplatforming. Now, these network of Silicon Valley CEOs wield extraordinary power to the point of holistically controlling the flow of vast swaths of information in our country. In a matter of hours, a business can be dismantled, a community of friends and colleagues canceled, and even a sitting president of the United States silenced. 
By their own admission, social media companies view themselves as a new public square and are happy to market themselves as platforms of global, regional, and local connectivity. Make no mistake, they are nothing more than advertising conglomerates, and I'm not interested in handing over the keys to the public square to a bunch of companies whose economic interests are not aligned with the public interest. When it comes to the rightful criticism for their editing and manipulation of the public square, big tech executives flee to shelter themselves from accountability as anything but a public forum, and that they have the chutzpah, the nerve, to insist on broad liability protection. Heads they win, tails we lose. And worse yet, a faceless and nameless group of tech employees at these companies now wield tremendous power to censor speech and enforce their viewpoint on political discourse upon the general public. If George Orwell had thought of it, he would have loved the term content moderation. Consequences of big tech censorship are felt far and wide. Take, for example, big tech's approach to censoring criticism of pseudo-scientific lockdowns during the coronavirus pandemic. Well, these lockdowns were almost universally rejected in pre-COVID pandemic preparedness plans. Lockdowns at the time of the pandemic were favored by the, quote, narrative. And so in the name of, quote, science, articles and posts warning against lockdowns were taken down and censored. The result has been the destruction of millions of lives across America, as well as increased deaths from suicide, substance abuse, and despair without any corresponding benefit in COVID mortality. Shouldn't such monumental policy questions have received a full, open, and robust debate? Social media platforms have become among the most powerful mechanism for a private citizen to make his or her voice heard. It is incumbent upon us to ensure those voices are not capriciously and vindictively targeted. And the worst part, they change the rules constantly based on whichever they, whatever they deem to be politically correct at any given point in time. These rules and standards are often changed without the knowledge of their users, uh, moving the goalposts on Floridians and others who use these open forums for discourse and as a source for information. When a social media company applies these standards unequally on users, this is discrimination, pure and simple. Can you imagine tolerating this kind of behavior in banking or in healthcare or in other industries? So today we announced during this legislative session uh, that we will seek to do the following. Ensure that Floridians are safeguarded against these practices from technology companies by requiring proper notice and disclosure of these changes to the standards and full disclosure of any actions taken against a user for violating the standards. We we'll also seek to prevent these platforms from rapidly changing these standards and applying them unequally against users. We'll also require that users be provided the option to opt out of the various algorithms these platforms use to steer content, or in many cases, suppress content from the view of other users. But these provisions are of no use without enforcement, and we will provide recourse for Floridians, both by enabling a user to bring a cause of action against a technology company, for violating these requirements of Florida law and empowering the Attorney General to bring action against the technology company for violations of these requirements under Florida's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act. We've also seen the breadth of big tech's influence on campaigns and elections. While there wasn't a state in the union that ran a better election than Florida last year, we still saw on a national scale how articles, candidates, and content 
had the thumbprints of big, big tech executives all over them. You can look no further than the last several months of the election as coordinated, calculated efforts were undertaken to advance an increasingly evident political agenda of the big tech companies. The problem is these companies are playing a significant role in the advancement of issues and candidates, but do so without recording many of their efforts for what they are, political contributions. If I were to give something of value to a candidate or political committee, it would be a contribution. But big tech has been manipulating news content and designing algorithms to give the upper hand to their candidates of choice, and they do so scot-free. Again, euphemistically called content moderation. I think it's more political manipulation. That's why in Florida we're going to take action, we're going to take aim at those companies and pull back the veil and make sure these guys don't continue to find loopholes and gray areas to live above the law. Uh, under our proposal, if a technology company deplatforms a candidate for elected office in Florida during an election, a company will face a daily fine of $100,000 until the candidate's access to the platform is restored. Again, any Floridian can deplatform any candidate they choose. You simply unsubscribe, and it's a right that I believe belongs with the citizen. Further, if a technology company promotes a candidate for office against another, the value of that free promotion must be recorded as a political campaign contribution enforced by the Florida Elections Commission. And lastly, if a technology company uses their content and user-related algorithms to suppress or prioritize the access of any content related to a political candidate or cause on the ballot, that company will also face daily fines. The message is loud and clear. When it comes to elections in Florida, big tech should stay out of it. A big tech has long since abdicated the protection of consumers for the pursuit of profit. Uh, we can't allow Floridians' privacy to be violated, their voices and even their livelihoods diminished, and their elections interfered with. And with that, I'd like to invite Speaker Sprouls up to make his comments. Thank you, Governor DeSantis, uh, not just for being a leader here today with legislative leaders on the issue of censorship and big tech, but really being the national leader, um, being outspoken on that. I'd also like to thank my friend, uh, Senate President Simpson, uh, for your work and, and the work of the, the Senate chamber on this important topic, uh, notably uh, Senator Danny Burgess, formerly Representative Burgess, uh, who's done a great deal of work on this in the Florida House as we, uh, as we roll out this initiative. So <clears throat> you get the relevance, uh, why this is so important to me. Um, Let's turn this down a minute so I don't deafen you. Sorry if I just blew your eardrums out. Um, he covered every angle. Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, in Florida just nailed it, um, just stuck it to them unbelievably well. Um, everything that they're doing, the censorship, um, the deplatforming, everything, he covered it all. A and how they allow specific messages to be to be allowed while censoring you and me and anybody that speaks out against the narrative um and plus you know and then then he goes even further and any political uh you know anybody running for office if they're deplatformed during an election year a hundred thousand a day <laughs> i absolutely love it so there's you know right now with the craziness going on in the world there are very very um good people out there doing good great work and uh ron DeSantis is one of them now, I just want to try and find some of these questions for you because you kind of need to hear the back and forth from the uh, the mainstream media and Ron DeSantis. So uh, I'm just going to try and find a few of these clips and we'll play those too. 
to just recognize, uh, you know, has these, have these platforms contributed to more maladies in society like human trafficking, child pornography? Absolutely. Have they contributed to things in school with kids like bullying? Absolutely. Have they contributed to the coarsening of American discourse and culture? Without question. So these are really significant issues that society has to grapple with. We're looking at protecting privacy. We're looking at protecting people from being censored and deplatformed. And we're looking at prevent, uh, protecting people from big tech election interference. Those are really the three overriding issues. And I would say there's been a lot of talk about censorship uh, today. Uh, they, may after they may come after someone that thinks like me. Uh, tomorrow, they may come after someone that thinks like you. Mike. <laughs> and what impact can one state have? Well, I think Bla Blaze had mentioned he put out the thing about the vaccine and didn't get it. So we put out a video about a vaccine update, I think a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago on Twitter, and it was flagged for sensitive content. And I'm like, how is that sensitive content? I think we said we got this many vaccines, we're expanding this many sites, uh, here's what we're looking to do, uh, and they flagged it. So some of this stuff is incredibly arbitrary and what happens is when they have such a hold on the public discourse, you then rely on some of these things to do communications, and that stuff can be really truncated just at the whim of somebody who's in Northern California, probably has some pretty different views than most Floridians do, and, and that's, not, that's not a good situation. So we, we think this will be, we're gonna put it out, we'll see if there's any type of, uh, any type of stuff, but let's just be clear, Florida's leading in terms of the states, but this is not an issue that other people are not concerned about in other states and in other countries. You look at Poland, you look at the European Union, people are understanding this is something that we're gonna have to grapple with and uh, we gotta get it right, and, and my view is, Let's protect Floridians, protect their privacy, protect them from being deplatformed or censored and protect them uh, from, from having their elections interfered with. And I think if we're looking at it through that lens, I think we can get a lot of support for it. Yeah, but they leave Ayatollah Khamenei up to say, kill all the Jews. Give me a break. They are not principled in this. They have so much garbage and filth on that platform all the time. They did not censor people when they were using those platforms for the rioting that occurred over the summer. So their excuse doesn't hold water. And So, for example, I think what we would say is, you know, if... Okay, but... So here's what I would say. So we have the qualifying in 2022. So say you qualify for US Congress, you have your Facebook, your Twitter, you, and it's not just that. What really I think scared me was the decapitation of Parler. It wasn't just, it wasn't just some of that stuff. It was the web hosting, the payment processing, take away your email, your text. You could totally neuter a candidate's ability to communicate and execute a campaign plan. So once we have that that situation. I just wanna interject there because we've seen that, um, exactly what he's talking about. We saw that with Faith Goldie in the Toronto mayor, mayoral race. Uh, they completely deplatformed her. 
Uh, a lot of people were completely unaware that she uh, was even running. And then there was, you add that, uh, you, you couple that with the uh, the smear tactics that they ran against her. Like Faith Goldie went to a, uh, a white supremacist rally as a journalist to cover it. And they just ran with it. And they said she she supported white white supremacy and all that stuff. It was so childish, but it worked. You know, like, unfortunately it did. She still came in third place with all the censorship that she had. Um, you know, that's a girl that I, th- I would love to see in power uh, in a bigger, on a bigger stage than just, uh, the Toronto, uh, as the Toronto mayor, uh, obviously she could do great things there, but she has a, a solid head on her shoulders. And, uh, as you can tell, I support her 100%. Anyway, let's carry on here. In, in 2020, we'd have to look, I don't know that there has been a candidate that got wiped off the map, but you see the way this is going. And I think that protection is very well well warranted and and I think it should be there and just think if you're in October of 2022 and you have a a, a state senate race or something and they deplatform one of the two candidates uh, that is not that's going to have a huge impact on the outcome of the race and if a Floridian had me over for if I was running for they have me over we we buy food we buy some signs I give a speech that's a contribute we have to we have to account for all of that because that's helping me further my candidacy but yet they could potentially deplatform the opposing candidate. They could suppress the message. And that's just something that is that is somehow OK and, and free from that. I don't think so. I think we need to hold them accountable. Well, I think it's been done in a, in a way that's completely unprincipled. I, they, they mentioned the Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's story was true, okay? We now know it was true. And the typical corporate media outlets, they just chose to ignore it. Obviously, they wanted to beat Trump. They had a, they had a, a view on the election. They didn't want to give it any air. So we rely on social media to go around that not let corporate legacy media outlets control the discourse and let us speak. So you had the New York Post to run it and you couldn't get any traction. You couldn't get any reach on it because big tech put their thumb on the scale. So that was true. What they said at the time, oh, it was, it was, it's a conspiracy or it's based on, on, on hacked information. Are you kidding me? You're trying to tell me if there was hacked information that could damage me, you guys wouldn't print it? Give me a break. You can whiz on my leg, but don't tell me it's raining. You guys would print it every <laughs> single day if you could. And big tech would allow it to proliferate every single day, 24-7. So it's not being done in a principled basis. And it's not, there's, a t- there's threats on me. And it only gets taken down if law enforcement goes and tells, tells them to do it. Otherwise, it just stays up. They're not moderating any of that. So they haven't done a good job in it. The thumb's always on the scale in one direction. And um, we just need to, bring, uh, we need to bring some protection for folks. I really, really worry when you have a business owner that may rely on some of these tools to, to do small business. If they engage in wrong think or they go to the wrong political event, then all of a sudden they can act in concert and just take, take you off. You need to have protection against that. So he... Uh the reason we played that almost in its entirety is because it just, it, it hits so many points and not to mention he covers like, you know, how the media completely didn't cover the Hunter Biden scandal that came out before the election that should have buried Biden. Uh, 
should have absolutely buried him. But I have actually seen uh, the raw data, the raw election data. So I know, I know full well that President Donald Trump, yes, President, got 410 electoral votes. And uh, old uh, pedo Joe Biden got 128, if he's lucky. So that's a whole different show in and of itself. But he covers absolutely everything here. Um, and we saw it. it. Everybody that is even remotely paying attention to the world these days is fully aware that uh, big tech, uh, mainly your two big, your biggest two platforms, which is Twatter and uh, Fascist Book, uh, were all over there. They were censoring all over and making sure that they were helping get their candidates in. So he's not stretching the truth at all uh, with this. And it happens in Canada too. This isn't just an American. I, I realize this is Florida and, and a lot of people might think that this is uh, out of reach for Canadians. But, you know, it, it'll, it'll take some focus on our, our, on our actual constitutions and, and see how, how they're all written and what, where this power would fall under in, in Canada. But if, if there is an opening there, which I'll try and find if there is, each, each province could potentially be doing what Florida is doing. And, and start to regulate big tech themselves. So this is, in, this is the reason why I covered it, because I, it's, it's nice to see people, uh, not just people. It's nice to see now that you actually have leadership in specific states uh, uh, south of the line that are fighting back and, and, and hitting the nail on the head with everything that, he, that he's, they did here. So um, this was a show where I didn't do much speaking. I just listened along with you guys, but I mean, sometimes that happens and I'm a day late getting this show out. Um, I'm seriously just having a couple weeks here where I got a lot of stuff on the go. <laughs> We're trying to do a bathroom reno and, uh, uh, work seems to be busy and I've got all sorts of stuff going on, uh, with cows and so on and so forth. So I'm a, just a busy guy here lately. So I'm trying to kick them out as, as consistent as, as possible. But, uh, as you guys know, sometimes life makes it difficult. So we didn't even really get to, uh, you know, the GameStop stuff at all, but I'm sure you guys are fully uh, up, to, up to speed on all of that. Um, what this is making me do is really watch silver. Uh, I'm thinking that I'll probably get my hands on some tangible silver once I think that I can actually get it. Um, and I would recommend you guys do it too. Um, there's probably a lot more market savvy people out there than me that listen to the show. But, uh, you know, I've got my hands on, on some uh, actual tangible silver in the past and... I think that the, I think this is all going towards precious metals. I think that is the goal here. Um, so I want to get my hands on uh, more than what I have right now uh, before those prices skyrocket. And I think you guys should too. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, another thing that I have kind of been working around is you're probably going to see me surface on all the um, all the major platforms again. We're gonna just. Uh, do a little bit of an abbreviation here and, and I'll let you guys know what it, once I know that it's actually up and working, I'll let you know where to find it. Uh, right now it's just SoundCloud at par usual, but I'm thinking as early as even tomorrow, I'll, um, I'm going to try and upload and see if they, if they find me right away or if they're going to let it slide for a little bit. I'm obviously probably be on borrowed time doing this, but <laughs> who cares <laughs> if the show has to have a million different names and abbreviations, ah, so be it. We'll probably end up on all the, all the platforms again anyway. So with that being said, um, if you want to reach out to me, um, you can find us on, on Facebook, Fascist Book. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. The message button comes directly to me, so free, feel free to use it. 
Um, you can also email us at CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. And we are also up on Telegram. We've got an open forum there that nobody has found yet. But eventually, I'm hoping that you guys come over there because it's a, it's, it's a great idea. And uh, the reason I'm, I'm pushing that one so hard is because it would be just an open conversation by all the contributors. Um, if for some reason you guys can't find the channel, let me know. Um, maybe that's what's going on here. Uh, I don't know. You guys got to let me know. But anyway, when you get over there, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff, the information that I'm, I, that I'm talking about on the shows is ending up in, in that Telegram channel. So you can scroll through it. You can talk to me and all the rest of the contributors once we all get over there. And I think it's just by far the probably the best platform I've seen for just bringing people together this way, uh, just to have a, a, a continual chat basically is why I, I like it and what I'm, why I'm pushing it so hard because it would be nice to have uh, just a continuing chat with all of you uh, that goes two two four seven. <laughs> anyway, that is the end of this show, my friends. So until next time, with all thy sons, command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.